Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Dell Wamsley. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Dell Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Friends, for years, you've heard me say that my number one rule in investing is don't lose money. That's rule number one. And I've always prefaced that with the concept that, hey, if you're in the stock market, it's like having a gun to your head. Guy says, I'm going to pull this trigger and kill you unless you do what I want you to do, which is give me all your money. You pretty much better give them all your money or you're dead. On the other hand, I looked at real estate as if it were a train coming down a track and you're standing on the track and a guy says, if you don't give me all your money, I'm going to hit you with my train. And your answer is, I don't care. Try it. I'll just get off the track. I can move my position around quicker than you can move the train down the track. And hence, I can keep from getting killed. And so today's conversation is one of those, hey, we're standing on the track talking to somebody that's telling us they're going to kill us conversations. And uh, we want to have this conversation under the understanding of this premise. I'm not having this conversation to scare you. I'm having this conversation to enlighten you so that you can make wiser decisions so that you can step aside from the track. I'm bringing on today one of my close friends, Jerry Turner. Jerry, as you all know, is a national award-winning real estate investor, local award-winning, state award-winning investor. He's got a a great portfolio uh, spread out over three different cities. What you might not know about Jerry is that he's been in banking He's a real estate broker. He's a real estate appraiser. He is a consultant, a business and real estate consultant. He's consulted both local economies, governments, businesses. He's consulted state and even the national government on many projects throughout the years. So he's well-versed in understanding a macro environment as well as a micro environment change. And in addition to that, he's an expert witness. He's got the credentials Is Name has so many letters after it, I can't even use up a whole alphabet to get to him. So without any further ado, let's bring on Jerry Turner. Jerry, welcome to the show today. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on, man. This stuff is um, its rather complicated, and I was afraid if I didn't get it right, I would lead people to the wrong assumptions from this. But hey, I'm reading crazy stuff out there that these interest rates crashing upon each other, getting closer and closer together, means something. Historically, it has meant something. And I wanted to see if you could explain that to everybody, what it has meant historically, what it might mean now. And then, of course, the really important part, what kind of moves can we make to sidestep some of the problems that might occur for somebody? So let's go and start with what is an inverted rate curve and what has it done in the past year? Sure. Well, I think you set it up pretty well at the beginning. Um, In fact, I'm looking at a a Wells Fargo report as of the middle of this month. And the yield curve has not inverted yet. So right now, short-term interest rates are still lower than long-term interest rates. What's happening is they're getting closer. And typically, there's a a much larger spread. So to give you an example, uh, a one-year Treasury note uh, is priced as of June 15th at 2.3% interest, and a 30-year Treasury is at 3.02% interest. So the short-term rates are still lower. But what's 
important is the fact that they're getting closer. And, and I think that's really the fear out there in the marketplace, because if you look back over history, I guess since the mid-50s, um, the stock market has peaked uh, six times after the start of an inversion. And the economy went into a recession uh, within seven to 24 months after that occurred each time. So you kind of sit back and say, oh, that, that's terrible. What's going to happen next? The reality is, is that in our business, uh, as you know, we're multifamily investors. Uh, I won't say that we're recession-proof, but the fact is that if things happen in people's lives, uh, and for whatever reason they lose their home, they either move to a rental home if their credit can't handle it, or they move into an apartment. So the demand side of the equation isn't really affected as much by recession. The challenge is, is when you're investing in these properties, you've got to have your uh, uh, your financing right and your underwriting correct uh, so that you're not caught um, in, a, in a pickle. What I mean by that is, is um, especially in commercial real estate, we tend to get the 10-year notes. Um, it might be 30-year amortization, but you're, you've got a balloon in the 10th year. Uh, if you've got a, a 10-year note and you've got four or five years left uh, and, and you're in the middle of a recession when that occurs, uh, it may be challenging, not impossible, but challenging to get your financing uh, the way you'd like it to be. So I think really the answer when you've got a, an inverted yield curve threatening uh, to cause a recession would be a, 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 a harbinger for future recessions, if you will. Um, the challenge is making sure you get your financing right. Uh, don't get a 10-year note. Get a 15-year note or a 20-year note. And that allows you the time to get your revenue up or allow the market to cycle back around and you find that your your cap rates have returned to pretty close to where they were when the recession started. So from what I'm hearing from you, and going back to 2007, the last time this happened, and we had that steep recession, uh, those of us who had already owned real estate, we didn't take it on the nose. We, we sailed right through it. In fact, we, after that, had very, very good times for a while. While people were losing their homes and moving into apartments, our occupancies went up, our uh, rents went up, everything went up. So for those of us who own real estate already, that's not a problem. Now, for full disclosure, I closed on an apartment complex yesterday, with, and uh, I put an offer on another Class A yesterday for another property. I've got another property closing by the end of the month that I'm in. And we look at these things, okay, we're not getting out of real estate, but we need to start thinking about some things. And one of the things that I was thinking about, and you tell me if I'm thinking about this correctly or not, is that the deals that I'm looking at are long-term yield plays, not short-term value plays. And my theory is uh, tying it to this, uh, you know, potential inverted curve and or potential recession that could occur is that I don't want to get stuck out there, you know, in the middle of some kind of a, uh, a downturn, a slam of financing and banking slam that I can't get out of my short-term bridge loan. Does that make sense or not? No, it makes perfect sense. Um, as a matter of fact, as you may recall, that uh, when the recession occurred, we had a number of members that, that had multifamily properties, and they had to go through some challenges to get their financing right. I think they all came out much better on the back end than they did when they had to work through that. 
but they all bought prior to the recession. Um, and it came down to financing. It came down to getting financing in place that was long-term that would allow them the time to build their NOI up and get things moving. When you've got a short-term bridge loan um, from a bank or a lender, uh, and uh, you see the, the pressure on that lender, and their lending capacity might even be impinged as a result, uh, that creates some, some challenging times for an investor trying to make a value play work, and especially in this market when value plays are so highly priced right now. So I looked up, the average recession lasts only 22 months. I could see the fear on a five-year note. I could see the fear on a seven-year note. But are you really thinking there's risk at a 10-year note, Jerry? Well, I, I think you, you bring up some good points. The, um, the important distinction, I think, is there's a difference between the economy, interest rates, and the market. And you may recall, I guess, six or seven years ago, uh, Class C cap rates were at 10%. Now they're at 6 and 7 um, Just because the economy turns around and the yield curve goes back to normal, it's not no longer inverted, doesn't mean that the cap rates are going to be in the future where they are today. That's really a risk. It's the risk of the change in the cap rates and the change in the market even after the recession has passed. If you look at the 1950s, is the last time we had interest rates this low. Uh, and you saw through multiple uh, political economic policies, interest rates rise pretty rapidly. Remember how high they were in the, in the 70s and the early 80s. Um, the economy was fine. You know, there was no recession. Yield curve was not inverted. But the short-term rates were 9 and 10 and 12%. The long-term rates were 6, 17, 18, 19%. You know, it, it's not that, that uh, you couldn't outlast a recession. The question is, what, how will the recession change the market? That's the risk. So the longer you can lock in a very low interest rate, the easier it is. When it, That doesn't mean you have to own it that long. You can get a 30-year loan at a at a 4.75% rate or whatever you can get in the marketplace. And in 10 years, when rates or interest rates are, are 7 8 or 9% and cap rates have gone up, someone can buy that property and assume that very low interest rate loan. Okay, now I'm going to take this. I'm just playing advocate here, or devil's advocate. So what you're really saying, and for the average person out there, they may not understand this, the cap rate is the rate of return you would, you would earn on a property if you owned it free and clear. So as cap rates go up, right. that means the value of the property is going down. So the real risk that you're, that you're exposed to, Jerry, that you're bringing up, is that, hey, five, seven, ten years from now, if cap rates go from... Really, they're at five or six right now. They're ridiculously low. Go back up to a nine or ten, which is normal from what we've been in, I've been in for thirty years for this Class C stuff. You may have, even though you've increased your NOI, increased your income, should have increased your value. You may have a flat value compared to what you could have got right now during these higher or lower cap rates. Is that what you're basically saying? That that's true. And if you've got long term financing, if you've got a 15 or 20 or 30 year note, you've got very low cost leverage already in place that you can sell that has value in the marketplace. Okay. If, I, if I've got a 5% loan for, for 20 years and in, and in five years I decide to sell it, 
they're going to assume that loan at that 5% rate instead of the 7 8 or 9% interest rate they would have to get on a, on a new mortgage. I guess. And that so would the note itself a large chunk of that value. The note itself becomes exactly. valuable is what you're basically saying. The, the money. Okay. Yep. So that makes sense. Now, I went through a very long one after the 85, what was it, 89, 87, 88, 89 recession. And uh, I bought a bunch of real estate then. And for years, you know, I've owned that, I owned that for 30 years, I think it was. You know, it went from 10,000 a door to 15 to 20, 25, 30, went up to 35. And then it went back down to 30 again in the 2007 recession. And when it came back out of the other side of the recession, hit 35 to 40,000 a door. I sold and said, man, now it's back out of that problem. I'm going to get out of this thing. Now that same stuff's worth 60,000 a door. You know, it's insane. So the people buying at 60 or 70,000 a door right now could look at that stuff being worth less sometime. I was talking to a guy the other day, and here's the conundrum. There is so much money in the market right now chasing yields, and there's really no place to put it to get those yields. Interest rates are so low that now the short-term interest rates are going up. I got money sitting in the bank, and I'm earning, you know, two two percent just sitting in the bank somewhere. Of course, it's not tax-free, and there's no capital gains, and there's no other asset benefits that you get with real estate. So I don't like it. That's why I bought three apartment complexes, or I got two, one closed, one's going to close, and one I put an offer on. So I want to be back in the market. I just can't see the numbers being anywhere close, even in a downward-trending market, the rate of return on the cash flows, even if they're only 7 or 8% tax-free, is 300% higher than what you can get in interest rates. So to me, it seems like you still got to be in the real estate market, Jerry. So we just got to figure out what is the safest way to be in it. You got 30 seconds left. What do you want to say? And I'll, I'll get you out of here. I know you're a busy man. Well, no, I agree with you 100%, Dell. I think real estate is the safest place you can put money. You can also be smart about how you use your leverage. And I think if you can you can get a long-term interest rate, lock that in, and um, uh, be judicious about how high you go up on your leverage so that you can take a punch if the market turns on you, you're going to be just fine, and you'll be fine doing that forever. Jerry, thank you for coming in. I know pulled you right out of your daily activities, but thank you very much. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. You're listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell will be right back with more life-changing principles in just a few minutes. So when I say be ready, number one, to get ready, you better join up Lifestyles Unlimited and learn all these things we're talking about. You're out there piddling and, you know, Internet information and your buddy's information or your dad's information. It's not going to get you the results that we're talking about. You're going to have to be educated in what we're doing. Learn from the people that are already where you want to be. Join us for the free online workshop at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're talking about this um, inverted rate curve that uh, they're saying is looming, possible. And uh, to be quite honest with you, the fear that they want to throw up doesn't seem to be a fear that I'm too afraid of. And the reason for that is because I already lived through this. I lived through it back in the 80s recession. I lived it through the 2007 recession. And in both times, I came out of those situations much better off. Uh, way wealthier than when I went into those situations. So um, let's look at the let's look at the positive side. 
the positive side is what if cap rates do go up? What if the cost of buying real estate goes down? Rents aren't going down. There's still no more real estate out there. We still have massive demand for places to live. We have people that can't buy homes anymore. They can't afford them. They're too expensive. They don't have the down payments. If the interest rates go up, that makes it even more impossible for them to afford to housing. And so if a recession happens and people lose their jobs, they lose their homes, they're going to come crawling into apartment complexes and rental houses. We, we're going to benefit. That's what happened the last two times I was in a recession. I benefited radically with tremendous amount of demand for my product. Secondly, I benefited because no matter what I had paid for what I was already holding, I didn't lose any of what I was holding because I had long-term interest rates, as Jerry said, locked in long-term interest rates that weren't going to go away. Uh, didn't change anything. I didn't pay any more for the property. Whether or not the property was worth less was irrelevant to me because I wasn't out to sell it. I was out to live off the cash flow. So whatever the cap rates did, up or down, sideways, meant nothing to me until much later on in life when they had gone down so low that it made my properties worth so much, I cashed out to become a multi-multi-millionaire. So that was the secondary, that was actually a tertiary uh, benefit of, of owning real estate was the fact that someday it's going to be worth so much, you're going to be so rich, you're going to cash out just to, to take the chips off the table. Now I'm buying back in again uh, because I need the cash flow, or I want the cash flow, uh, and so I've got to go back and buy some more stuff. But I'm buying back in the same way that I bought in the first time, realizing that I'm not there for the big bang, I'm there for the cash flow. The big bang will come. My family inherit my real estate 10 years from now, 15 years from now, whenever they get it. Uh, as long as I live, you know, I'll be there and taking care of it. But when I'm gone, someday they're going to inherit one heck of a lot of money because my massive wealth will have doubled again. And it just it keeps going and going and going. And you've got to keep in mind that there is massive benefit to us as investors if there really was a recession. In fact, if I were to poll all the people in lifestyles, they would be cheering if we told them there was a recession coming. I just don't see it yet. I see them talking about some technical things that technical people understand, that understand the tech, technical aspect of the economy. And maybe they, they're right. Maybe they're smarter than we are. If they are, then let's think the right way about what to do with that. Uh, on the other hand, if they're really right, and let's say that two years from now we hit a recession, at that point, you're going to be able to buy stuff, 80 cents on the dollar, then it goes to 70 cents on the dollar, maybe even gets down to 60 cents on the dollar. But if you don't sell, you're not selling at 60 cents on the dollar because you're not selling. You're full. In fact, the three properties that I'm going after, the one I closed on yesterday, the one I've got another looking at closing here in a couple of days or whatever it is, and the one I put an offer on yesterday, all three of them are over 97% occupied, which means what? The day we close on those properties, we're getting cash flow. We're making money, right? That's what it means, cash flow from day one. Now, if the value of those properties go down, we don't care because our interest rates are already locked in, right? We, we know that if there's a recession, there's going to be more occupancy. Uh, that's and more than 97% is almost impossible because there's some reality of the fact that you can't be totally physically occupied because it takes some period of time to move your new person in and one person out, even if you pre-lease the unit. So the occupancies are strong. Um, to me, it's like, wow, I almost wish the interest rates would push cap rates back up again. That's the way I see it. Uh, you know, I would love to see that happen. 
So it doesn't, I'm not afraid of it because each time in the past that's ever happened, I've come out unscathed on the stuff that I already owned. And I've also come out way wealthier on the stuff that I bought during the recession. Now, let's caveat that. The people I saw go down, the people I saw had problems, were two types of people that failed during the recessional type situations. One, where people had short-term debt. They bought something, they did massive renovations on it, they had a short-term note, and then all of a sudden, the ability to borrow 80% went down to 70%. Or the ability to borrow 90% went down to 70%. And now they're in on this short-term note at 90%, or 80%, and also when they go to get their long-term notes, they can't borrow any more than 70%. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. The properties that I'm buying are leveraged at 65%. So even if the market went from 100 down 35%, my property still be worth more than what my note is. So, well, Dale, why do you do such low leverage? I'll tell you why. Because I can put that much money down because I have that much money, And that throws me into an interest-only loan. And with an interest-only loan, my payments are cut in half, if not more. And so, where I might be making $400,000 a year on this apartment complex I'm buying, I'll be making $900,000 a year because I'm not paying principal. Now, principal is, it's not an expense, it's just actually paying off the note. But why do I want to pay off the note? I really don't want to pay off the note. That's really not my goal. My goal is just to own the property and have cash flow. And if I can pull in 900 grand a year tax-free instead of 400 grand a year tax-free, I would much rather do that. So I'm paying more down. Other people out there, you can look at these situations. You can come to the same conclusion I did. You can put more money down. You know, many people are leveraging at 70%. That's a safe number. Some people at 75 Almost nobody's leveraging at 80% anymore. They just, they're just not there. So you realize if you're only leveraging 70%, the market do a 30% swing. It doesn't even, doesn't even affect your note, or, or it does affect the value. I'm saying it wrong. It affects the value, but it doesn't affect your operational situation at all. It, it's not going to get to you. You're going to be able to survive it and, and ride it out. And then that second thing when I told you that the average recession lasts 22 months. If you're in a good situation business-wise, you can survive 22 months of all kinds of hell going on all around you. It's not going to put you out of business, except, and this is the second problem, except if you're a poor operator. And this is what we saw. People that were poor operators went out of business for various sundry reasons. One, their properties were run into the ground, and in the normal cycle of their business cycle, which is buy it, cannibalize it, cannibalize it, cannibalize it, sell it, they got to the point where they had cannibalized the business to the point where it needed to be sold because their form of operations wouldn't work anymore, and boom, the property was worth very little compared to what they paid for it. Why? Because they cannibalized it. But in an upward trending market, we would buy a cannibalized piece of garbage because we would believe that we could fix it and turn it around and make it viable. But when we don't have that situation, when you know that it isn't going to be valued more, these people have to sell this stuff for the lower amount of what the market says is truly worth. And all of a sudden, people are buying based on the reality of the effectiveness and profitability of the business. And that's really when you want to buy because you're getting what you pay for. 
the property that I went after today or yesterday, I put an offer on, my offer was too high. Why is it too high? Because there's a premium built in to our marketplace right now. I'm willing to pay the premium because my money's sitting over here doing nothing. And I'm willing to pay the premium because I'm not at risk because I'm putting enough down that I won't have that long-term risk of interest rate risk. And we have excellent operators that work with me. So I don't see that as a problem for me. But I wanted to get this message out to you today. Um, I'm hoping we're going to take this show and send it out to all my employees so they understand it. Maybe somehow you need to get out there and get all your friends to go look it up and listen to it. Because this is that guy standing on the train tracks going, hey, I hear a horn in the background. Somewhere down the tracks, I'm hearing the sound of the engine coming. And I just want to make sure that I'm standing in the right place when the engine comes flying by. That's all. It doesn't mean I'm going to give up on trains. It doesn't mean that I'm going to run away from the track and hide for the rest of my life. It just means maybe I need to move a little bit further away from the train track at this moment. Here's an article that's in CNBC's website. It's on CNBC's website, written by a guy named John Odell of Aroa Investment Group. And the article is titled, Four Easy Ways to Increase Your Retirement Income. Now, you think about this. At first glance, here's a guy that runs this uh, probably an investment company. And he's going to tell you four super important secret ways to increase your retirement income. Now, what do we do here at Lifestyles? We help you increase your retirement income. By what? 5000 a month, 10000 a month, 20000 a month. Massive amounts of increase. You've heard the story after story after story. 27 years we've been here, 28 years almost. Radio show after radio show for 15 years. Case study after case study for, you know, 27 years. You realize after 27 years with doing this, with all of the success stories we have, somewhere along the line, you're going to have to believe it's true. There's just too much information, too many examples for it not to be true. But yet, I'm not writing articles for CNBC, maybe because I don't want to, maybe because they don't want me to, because they want everybody to be saying the same stuff. Give your money to your financial planner. Invest in the stuff that we make money off of, that we get commissions for selling. And when you get to be 65, 70 years of age, and maybe now it's 77, 75 years of age, you can retire and live on a very small amount of income. So this guy's big enough to get requested to write for CNBC. He is big enough to be in charge of an investment firm called Aroa Investment Group. Here's his four ways. Number one, reduce your investment fees and expenses and invest in most tax-efficient manner possible. That's two of them. That's actually two of the four right there. You know, it was so bad that the 401ks that the government had to come in and finally pass a law and say that they that the people that manage 401ks had to disclose their fees. For years, they didn't disclose their fees, and they found out these guys were taking massive portions of your investment. The basic concept is, let's reduce some of that. And what this guy is saying is, hey, let's look for a broker that won't leave so many bruises. We're still going to beat you and slap you and attack you and steal your money, but let's look for someone that's going to leave a little bit 
fewer bruises. Then he goes, let's talk about avoiding taxes. If you've got a high income investments, let's put them in an IRA or 401k so they're tax deferred into the future, which means nothing. You still have to pay taxes to get them out. So the concept of a deferred taxation benefit program is that they are going to make sure you're broke. You are going to fail by the time you're 60, 70 years of age and be broke. And when you pull this money out, you'll be pulling it out at a very low rate tax rate because you're pulling a very small amount of money out because you can't afford to take a very large amount out or it will be gone. And you won't have any earned income or any personal income anymore other than that. And so it will come out at a low tax rate. I make more money now than I've ever made my entire life. And I intend to make more 10 years from now. I'm not pulling stuff out at lower rates. I'm pulling stuff out at higher rates. That's insane. So why not get it out when it's a low rate, when you're young, get rid of all those stupid things and buy real estate, which is basically tax deferred for the rest of your life if you do it correctly. Between the depreciation allows the income, the the rental income to be free and the 1031 exchange possibilities, you could put off paying taxes all the way until you die. And when you die, the tax burden disappears. Even your family doesn't have to pay it. Your family inherits the real estate with a stepped up basis. So my friends, listen to these guys. Increase your eventual Social Security by not taking it until you're 75. Hey, how do I have more for retirement? Don't retire. Don't miss out on catch-up contributions. In other words, take more money out of your life and live on less. Four of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard in my entire life, all expressed in the same article by the same guy at the same time. Remember, folks, just because they have a title doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past show podcasts, and join the conversation. Information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.